0: Welcome to Future of XYZ. I'm your host, Lisa Grelnick, and together we'll explore big questions about where we are as a world and where we're going. Future of XYZ is presented in collaboration with Rhode Island PBS. Hello and welcome to this week's uh, very special summer edition of Future of XYZ. We have the privilege of, I was just teasing him about what a fangirl I am, Uh, The founder of Island Oyster Skip Bennett, direct from Duxbury, Massachusetts. Skip, welcome to Future of XYZ.
1: Thank you, Lisa. Thanks for, I'm honored to be invited.
0: Well, it's really um, such a pleasure for me. As I was saying, I um, am a big oyster fan, but I am especially a big Island Creek oyster fan, as many people in the world are. You started it, I believe. You're from Duxbury. Your family's many generations in Duxbury, Mass., which is down near Cape Cod. Uh, south of Boston for all of our international and, and West Coast listeners who know nothing about New England. Um, it's a really tough business, but you are one of kind of the pioneers in shellfish hatchery. You started with clams and you you moved on to oysters and and in 95 and then in 2000 really brought on some partners, including your dad. I mean, uh, I just want to ground people. I mean, most people have a vision in their mind of what an oyster is, but like, what is the scientific definition of an oyster?
1: So oysters are bivalves, they're mollusks, um, and that's kind of a broader definition. Um, they are, uh, you know, there are many different species of oysters. So um, the species that we grow is Chrysostria virginica, and that is indigenous from kind of the Gulf of Maine down to the Gulf of Mexico. Um, there's a little bit grown on the West Coast too. And uh, so there's there's all these different species that are grown in different places but that is what we grow here on the east coast
0: and and you um have said in previous conversations and and in marketing materials that you know you set out to grow the world's finest oysters <laughs> so there's obviously a more emotional definition than the the Latin name for uh the the varietal that you grow talk to me about that emotional definition of oyster for you
1: so I think for me, there's, uh, well, there's a couple of things. I think there's something really primal about growing oysters that, um, you know, the, um, I think Anthony Bourdain had a pretty cool uh, quote where he says that we eat them very similar to the way our knuckle dragging forefathers ate them plucked fresh from the ocean and slurped out of the shell that it grew in. And, uh, and the, so I think that that's unique, right? Like we don't eat a lot of foods that way. And, uh, and then beyond that, I think that, you know, it it really connects you to a sense of place. So when you eat an oyster, it really smells like the ocean. Uh, So it can bring you back to like, you know, being on the beach and smelling the ocean and the sand and the seaweed and, uh, you know, and that, that should be what an oyster tastes like. And then beyond that, on a kind of a more granular level, there is, you know, this real sense of place in, in that. In wines, they use the term terroir. Yes. we have kind of uh, messed with that a little bit. We call it maroir.
0: I so, love it. I've not yes. heard this before.
1: So an oyster in Duxbury will taste very different than an oyster in Barnstable or uh, Wellfleet, and certainly different from an oyster that's grown in, say, Maine. Um, but also, the oysters can taste different based on uh, you know if they're grown on one side of the bay or the other, and they can be drastically different. So it really brings you, you know, you can sit in a restaurant and eat six different varieties and almost be transported to those places.
0: Well, it's so interesting that you say that because um, I, I've talked about, I was saying to you before how many people I've introduced oysters to over the years who were like, ew, gross, like slimy, and then like find their love of oysters. And, and we talk about terroir. I've never heard marijuana. At. It's like totally, totally yeah. like changed. Obviously, Duxbury Bay, where you grew up, where you've, oh, you know, your father was a lobsterman, it's very cold, very turbulent, very saline, very, very salty. Mm -hmm. This produces quite a special oyster. Like, talk to us a little bit about how they're grown, how they're farmed, and then exactly as you just said, the marouille that makes each one kind of so unique and special.
1: Yeah. So the, the farming process starts in the hatchery. Um. You know, every every summer we do tours. We I think we have about 5,000 people that come through and they go into the hatchery for about an hour and then they see the outdoor nursery and go out on the boats and see where the oysters are harvested. But the one commonality in the whole thing, I, people always say to me, I had no idea. I had no idea how much went into farming oysters. So, um, you know, like I said, they start in the hatchery in the winter. Um, so that's sort of an indoor laboratory where we grow kind of copious amounts of uh, phytoplankton, because that's what the oysters eat. Um,
0: so, phytoplankton is the illuminescence, uh, or not necessarily? The,
1: the Bioluminescence, that is yeah. a type of plankton, yeah. Okay. And I'm not sure if that's phytoplankton, but, uh, but we grow about a dozen different species based on you know the different cell sizes and nutritional values, so that we can really kind of uh, manipulate the diet of the oysters at the different stages of their lives. Um, and that goes on for a few months in the late winter, early spring. Uh, once the oysters are big enough there, and the time is right, so generally around the middle of May, the oysters move out um, onto the, into tanks outside. So they start to eat the food out of the raw water. Um, wow. And then we're kind of off to the races. From the time that the seed comes out of the hatchery until we can start harvesting, that's about 18 months. and I, I would say to people, like to put some context to the challenge of growing oysters, that a million oysters will fit in your two hands and weighs about two to three pounds when it comes out of the hatchery. Wow. Eight, Eighteen months later, it completely covers one acre and weighs about two hundred thousand pounds. So wow. it's the expansion of that volume that is the one of the bigger challenges for oyster farmers.
0: Yeah, you have to have land, but it's not land; it's sea.
1: And it's also geared to protect it because until it's you know uh, about six months into its life, it, you know they're they're pretty fragile. Everything wants to eat them.
0: Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Understood. Nature, nature's nature cycle. Um, you've been doing this for quite a quite a while. Um, Ninety five. It doesn't seem that long ago, but it turns out that it actually was. You were, I believe, the first, if not um, one of the first vertical, vertically integrated shellfish farms in America, at least. What changes have you seen in the course of these, you know, 30 plus years um, and and kind of over in your world as well as in the industry overall?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, there were certainly farms out on the West Coast that were vertically integrated. And, um, you know, they, so um, the history of oysters, you know, there were oyster farms, they were more Kind of wild oysters that were caught and uh and then you know people had the rights to harvest them. Um so that went on for a long time and goes way back in our history. But it wasn't until the um 50s and 60s that oysters were um there were two diseases that almost wiped out oysters completely on the East Coast. So in the 80s and 90s, some of us started uh and you know, there were quite a few people before me that were farming oysters and uh really started to grow oysters. So that was kind of the genesis of the whole thing and um you know i think i would say the biggest changes that we've seen are the amount of farms yeah it's just staggering you go um i have a friend that has a small plane so we were flying over maine and it seems like every nook and cranny has a little oyster farm and uh you know that's just that's a big change from when i started
0: absolutely it's funny i spent a lot of time in my life in maine actually and and on the new england coast i mean it is I mean, lobstering, oystering, being on the water for seasons of the year is tough work. I mean, you know, you get that rugged New England kind of mentality and image, you know, um, it's it's the opposite of mountain man. It's like the ocean man. But you you get that vision. It, it's tough. Like, as we think about like the changes, but you've also obviously um, faced quite a number of challenges, I imagine, both of the natural variety as well as the man-made variety. How, how do you kind of... How do you deal with that in the face of the other changes, like so many farmers who are now doing this?
1: Yeah, I think that, you know, that's the one thing that I think some people, um, you know, don't really understand is it is farming. So, uh, you know, we grow live animals in one of the most harsh uh, environments on the planet. And so it's, you know, it's, it's very, uh, you know, we can't control um, the certainly can't control the environment that they grow in. Uh, So once they're out there, they're, they're really on on their own. And, you know we um we deal with disease issues which um the best we can do is good husbandry and um you know really selection in the hatchery so uh good breeding to select kind of disease resistant animals and then you know there are more uh bigger challenges like climate change and uh and then there's all, also the you know kind of user conflict so the nimby not in my backyard mm mm-hmm. Uh, still persists really up and down the entire East Coast. Surprisingly, that uh, you know, not in my backyard, uh, is a big issue up in Maine, where you would think that uh, you know the traditional working waterfronts that people would be more supportive of seeing oyster farms.
0: Well, and it's and it's certainly a, a changed landscape as as more money comes into the coast and for sure, and and the two things battle.
1: Yeah, it's kind of ironic that people move up there to be where you know. The lobsters come from and the fisheries, and then they don't want to see it in front of their house.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's like uh, we're we're gonna do a wind energy in Rhode Island. It's a similar uh, topic soon, and it's the same kind of thing, right? I mean, yeah, uh, I don't want to see I don't want to see those turbines, but yeah, support yeah. port wind energy. But that's a different topic. So, I mean, you had a couple of restaurants in Boston. You now have two shops in Duxbury. You have a shop up in Portland, Maine. You send, I think you. You serve as a distributor for a lot of different, you know, uh, seafood farmers, and 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 distributes to seven hundred some odd chefs around the country. Most of all, you've been served at the White House. I mean, Island Creeks, and yeah. the House Oyster for one of the most famous restaurant sisters in the world, which is Per Se in New York City and the French Laundry in Napa Valley. I mean, yeah. that's been going on for a long time. It's quite impressive.
1: Twenty years that we've been the. Uh the, you know, um signature dish at Thomas Keller's restaurant. So it's an amazing honor. And, you know, there was kind of the serendipitous um, you know, series of events that led to us being the oyster at per se first and then later at French Laundry. And, you know, it's it's amazing that Chef Keller and I are coming on 20 years of uh of working together and we're we're friends. We have you know, a fantastic relationship and a lot of respect for each other. So, but for me, it's it's truly an honor to be the oyster that is served there.
0: Well, I mean, it's 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 a real talisman of 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 the quality um, that Island Creeks are. You started also Row Thirty Four in Boston, which was a different oyster. You have you have many varietals now. I know you don't have that anymore, but the point is, you now have a D 2 D2C, direct to consumer business as well. I get the text, you know, yeah. the special occasions, all the rest of it. It would seem that, yes, there is, are more farms, but there is growing demand for oysters.
1: So that that's an interesting one, that when in the mid-90s, when I started growing oysters, um, you know, it was out of desperation because in 1990, I started growing clams. And then in 95, I got wiped out by a disease. And believe it or not, there were no wild oysters in Duxbury. So when I got oyster seed, I didn't even know if it would grow in Duxbury Bay, which... You know, we jokingly say that Cape Cod Bay is the kind of Napa Valley of oyster farming, and we didn't even know if they would grow here. <laughs> so, um, you know, that was a long time ago, and um, yeah, the the uh, I'm sorry, I lost. What was the, the question?
0: No worry. Growing demand for oysters.
1: Oh, the growing demand. That's right. Yes. So, uh, you know, I start when I started selling oysters in the city. Uh, there was probably a dozen restaurants that had oysters on the menu. So there, really, there weren't really many oyster bars. There weren't oyster programs like we see today. So, you know, multiple varieties of oysters and oyster yeah, bars. You know, uh, Chris Schlesinger at the East Coast Grill up in Cambridge was way ahead of his time. So anyway, you know, we thought we would saturate the market very quickly. And what we came to realize was that every year the demand outstepped the production. And we had a couple of breakthroughs where we broke some bottlenecks where it was like, oh... Here we go. We're gonna way outstrip the demand. But what we didn't account for was there was there was always kind of this latent demand, and I think people, even people like you said, your friends that at first were like, "I'm not eating oysters," like they didn't even know they liked oysters because there weren't really um, that many wild oysters left, uh, largely because of the diseases in the '50s and '60s. So it wasn't until you know we had hatchery seed, uh, we could breed for resistance, that all of a sudden. There were a lot of oysters out in the market. And, you know, 30 years later, um, almost 30 years later, the demand still far outstrips the production, which is hard to believe because, like I said, there's oyster farms literally every <laughs> nook and cranny of the East Coast. and
0: But as you uh, said, there are a lot, of con- a lot of factors that weigh into how you get from a seed, you know, into a full-grown oyster, time and, and luck and salinity and all sorts of other things. And, and luck, luck. Uh, a, a lot of luck right <laughs> and and hard work and i i mean yeah. i think as we think about kind of su- i mean sustainability is a big important topic in in my world and almost always on future of xyz we end up coming to either social impact or sustainability issues i think sustainability in 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 it, well first of all in all farming is a topic because of the fact that like demand outstrips Production and 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 um, supply. So, if if you don't mind talking, I know you guys have a strong point of view on sustainability and what it means for the next generations. Um, What is sustainability in oyster farming, and specifically for Island Creek?
1: Well, I think you know. I think the farming activity in of itself is um, you know is inherently uh, sustainable. It's probably the only protein I know. So it's a really nutrient dense protein that actually improves the quality of its environment as it's growing. So, and I I can't think of another source of protein that, uh, where we see that, Um, you know, the, as far as, uh, you know, as opposed to a wild fishery that's extracted, we're, you know, replenishing the crop every year. And, and also, you know, like with the clams we grow, it's augmenting the wild fishery. So those clams that we're growing on the farm are reproducing and the, that, uh, you know, the, the larvae shellfish are settling all over the Bay, you know, increase the wild population. Uh, so like I said, the, the farming activity in and of itself is very sustainable.
0: Which, which is, which is very helpful. And then I think you, you know, we talk about the next generation. I think you say you run a vertically integrated farm dedicated to making an impact on our food systems. Um, what explicitly are you able to do, I mean you mentioned the fact that oysters filter filter the water they also provide you know security beds i mean new york city's talking about putting in oyster beds of course to shore up the 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 area around against hurricanes climate change and other ways what yeah. what other things do oysters do for the planet as well as what are you guys doing to kind of bring that to to fruition so
1: i think the you know a lot of this is just through the practice of oyster farming but you know the probably the biggest Ecological services: the remediation of nitrogen. So, when we live in and around the water systems, we we're putting a lot of nitrogen either through fertilizers, but also even perfectly functioning septic systems leach nitrogen, and you know, ultimately that can lead to or will lead to excessive algae blooms. So, um, you know the limiting factor of algae blooms is uh, nitrogen and I suppose phosphorus as well, and so when we put an excess amount of nitrogen into a bay like Duxbury Bay, we get excessive algae blooms that eventually will deplete the dissolved oxygen. Uh, you know the,
0: So they become dead zones?
1: They do become dead zones, and the oysters are not only efficient at removing the phytoplankton, the plankton, but also they can remove the nitrogen in a host of, of ways. There's also a belief that oysters are sequestering carbon to build the shell. So they lock mm-hmm. it up in the shell. Uh ultimately that shell ends up hopefully in somebody's driveway. Or
0: well, that's exactly it. Cause the shells themselves have purpose. Yeah. Um it, or they can and as building materials, as you said.
1: Yeah, there's this whole kind of uh cottage industry now of people, you know, making Christmas ornaments out of the shells and uh, you know, all kinds of art out of the oyster shells, which I think is so cool.
0: It is. It's like when we were kids and we found things on the beach and made the art out of them. Now, it's actually a business. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty good. So, I mean, here, obviously, um, you are focused in Duxbury. However, you have started, I believe, a nonprofit that's operating in Africa, in Haiti, which, of course, is extraordinarily poor and been ravaged by, I mean, political unrest, social unrest, but most of all, natural disaster um what does the future like why are you investing in social entrepreneurship and 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 these kinds of nonprofits as as, so far away from where you where you grow oysters
1: yeah i think you know from the beginning we always felt like we were um very privileged to be able to work out on the It's ultimately it's public land and um you know we have this incredibly incredible opportunity so from the beginning we've always tried to give back in uh Years ago we put on an oyster festival and like I everything at Island Creek, yeah, like everything at Island Creek, it grew. Uh and it grew, it got out of hand. But we made a lot of money on those. And we, you know, had committed ahead of time that whatever money we raised would go to some type of charity. And certainly food production and uh, you know, food production for people that really needed it was something that was that we identified as uh not only important to us, but similar to what we were doing here we're creating food so um we got uh involved in a project in Tanzania through Woods Hole Oceanographic mm-hmm. and uh we built a shellfish hatchery over there so we kind of seeded
0: Zanzibar I assume
1: Yep yeah so we seeded a lot of the money for the the um build out of the hatchery but we also spent a lot of time there physically building the hatchery and trying to get it to work and uh, that project is still ongoing, although we're not involved. Um, you know, we did our part in that, but it still exists today. And then, uh, through uh, Paul Farmer, Doctor Farmer, uh, we got involved in Haiti, uh, which it was. We were working on a, a fish farm project there, so we were farming tilapia in some of the inland lakes, and um, it was an unbelievable program. Unfortunately, it's it's kind of all uh, come undone with mm-hmm. some of the you know uprising there and uh, heartbreaking. Yeah, it was heartbreaking. I don't. You can't even get to the hatchery anymore. So, I'm sorry. You know, then, then there's challenges that I think uh, we don't. It's hard for us to perceive how different the world is, in, uh, you know, in these places, and uh, it you know, it could take a lifetime to really have a, much of an impact. And, uh, Definitely. so and then six years ago, we bought a property in Duxbury that, um, I used to joke I, when we first got it, I said, I felt like the dog that caught the car because <laughs> it was way more than we could afford. And, uh, you know, I, there were a couple of times where I was like, we're not going to survive this acquisition. So we've let the sort of, um, development nonprofit, part of our business, uh, you know, we we kind of set that down for a while, and I think we're getting ready to get back. And, um, maybe with a little bit different purview this time, mm-hmm. uh, you know, maybe something closer to home. And, uh, you know, who knows? But I think that that is something that's important to all of us. And I, I can't tell you how many people, great people, have come to work for us and ultimately said, you know, I, I came to work because of the foundation. Yeah. I really wanted to be part of that. So it's really important to me that we get back to that now that we're more stable here.
0: Yeah, I I, I, I so appreciate that. Um, I mean, I think the future of we did a, uh, a conversation just around Thanksgiving last year on the future of farming, um, and and farming as you've said is hard work. And so wherever you can, you know, give back to the next generation of education, of learning, of of, of best practice, uh, we all need it. So uh, I give you huge support um, for whatever that's going to look like. As as we think about wrapping up, Skip. Um, we're obviously future of X, Y, Z. So the future of oysters. In your opinion, like what does the next five to 10 years look like? What does the industry need to survive and thrive or to be successful? And is this the same thing kind of globally, East Coast, West Coast, et cetera, or is there something specific to, to New England?
1: Well, I think, you know, there, there are things specific to New England, but I think on a broader scale, I think, um, you know, a little more research and you think about, uh, you know how many varieties of tomatoes you can buy out there, and and we're still kind of chis- chiseling out the wheel, you know, of of shellfish aquaculture here. So, uh, you know, certainly some genetics and uh, some you know investment in research would help, and I'm that's coming, it's going to happen, and uh, and then I think one of the bigger challenges is access. So, uh, and you know, it's it's also there's so many benefits of aquaculture, not just the ecological services, but also, you know, the um, economic impact locally. So you think about 100, 150 people working on Duck Stray Bay, and eight to ten million dollars that are produced out there. Really, a, like a foundation level of development. Uh, that those dollars are they're unique and they're rippling through the economy. And I I've been saying lately that. Uh, this is the best version of Duxbury I've seen in my 57 years. And awesome. largely, I think because of all the the dollars that are coming into our community and, you know, the grocery store, the um, coffee shops and the sandwich shops that are all thriving now, those are the, the amenities of the community. And that's really important to not just us, but all the people that live here. So, uh, you know, I think the problem now is that many people don't see that value. They don't understand how important uh, oyster farming is beyond you know how much money we pay in rent or um, you know, so I think getting that message out there would would certainly help with the development of aquaculture. Uh,
0: I appreciate that. so as as a final question, it, let's you've been doing this for almost thirty years. Imagine out another twenty. What's your greatest hope for the future of oysters?
1: That I'm here, <laughs> <laughs> that I'm part of it. I hope in 20 years I'm still farming, and you know beyond that, I hope that Island Creek persists into the future long after I'm I'm done. And uh, you know, I think I, I hope that the industry contri- continues to grow and uh, you know diversify. We're growing a lot of different shellfish now. We grow these surf clams that are generally harvested out in the ocean. And we um, we grow them up to about one inch. So in the wild, they're harvested at five inches or bigger. Yeah, so they're um, used for chowders and that kind of stuff. But uh, we grow them to a size now that we're using them for fried clams, and they're unbelievable. Way more sustainable than sasho clams. So uh, you know, I think I think hopefully shellfish farming as a whole becomes more robust and and uh, you know a little more secure too, a little less risky for the people that are involved
0: um skip bennett founder of island creek oysters thank you for joining us on future of xyz uh it's a it's a truly delicious topic
1: <laughs> well, it's my pleasure thanks for including me
0: and for everyone watching uh make sure that you follow us on instagram uh you can also listen anywhere you get your favorite podcast of future of xyz uh and if you're listening and didn't know you could watch every episode is available at future-of.xyz, or uh, our presenting partner, Rhode Island PBS, at ripbs.org forward slash XYZ. Go visit, leave us a five-star review, uh, and go get yourself some oysters from Island Creek Oyster. Skip, thank you again.
1: Thanks, it